All right, well, thank you, everybody, for being out here on this hot summer day. Um, I'm, I'm excited about the, the catechisms today. Um, I, I suppose, perhaps if there were more people here, but I suppose with, even with those of us who are here, it could uh, create some good discussion. Um, before we dive into this, uh, let's say a word of prayer. We're going to need God's guidance here. Uh, these are some things that... You know, we take by faith, we take by the teaching of the Spirit, um, things that we will never understand fully um, until we see His face. So let's pray and ask the Lord's guidance. Um, Lord, I thank You for this night where we can come and hear from You, that we can come and learn from the Spirit. As You tell us, call no man teacher, because um, we have one teacher, we have one rabbi. Lord, You teach us the things that we need to know. Man can teach a lot of things that we don't really need to know or teach it in such a way that we really don't need to know it that way. We do a pretty good job of sidetracking from the main issue. Lord, I pray that through your Spirit that you would teach us, that you would help us to be single-minded in our pursuit of Christ, in our, uh, in our abiding in Christ, in our desire to glorify you, to fear you, to glorify you and enjoy you forever. And I pray that you would take us deeper into that as we study your sovereignty tonight. Um, just give us guidance to see what we need to see according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody has one of these sheets, right? Yeah, I gave everybody one of these. Um, but first, does anybody remember what the catechisms were about last week? The first one is three words. What is God? All right. <laughs> What is God? And we looked a little bit into the, His nature, um, the, uh, the, uh, the basic nature of God. And, uh, and then, we, then we, after that one, do we remember what the second one was that we looked at? How many persons are there in the Godhead? Right. I cheated. You, <laughs> well, I've got them open right here just to make sure I got the wording right. <laughs> So how many persons are in the Godhead? And we talked about the Trinity and how the church is built to resemble the unity that the Trinity, the Godhead, has within itself. The unity um, amidst the varying capacities, the varying uh, um, responsibilities, I guess you could say. But perfect unity, the same will, the same mind, the same heart, the same love. Um, and, we talked, we, and we saw how that is the model for how he wants his body on earth to operate. Today, we're going to be talking about, we have three catechisms here. Um, I included that third one in there because that really actually has a lot to do with, it's, a, it's almost a metaphor of God's sovereignty. Uh, but we'll look at that. We're, we'll go one by one through these. But the third one is more, I included it there as an example of God's sovereignty. We're not going to sit on it for a super long time, but... The first one we see here, what are the decrees of God? Okay, that's kind of a confusing question, um, but I think that it'll clarify it by the answer. What are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. So the decrees, the things that God says to be so, essentially is what that is saying. What are those things that God says to be so, and what's the nature of God just saying so? Well, here, His eternal purpose, the counsel of His own will, 
whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. So you have eternal purpose. Eternal purpose. Is that bound by time and space? Is that, is that what eternal purpose what might include? Yes or no? <laughs> the salvation of sinners. The salvation of sinners. And that purpose of saving sinners being an eternal purpose for eternal life for those who receive Christ, right? But we'll see in scriptures here that such, such purpose didn't just come to pass one day, just come into the mind of God one day. It was always in God's mind. And it says, according to the counsel of His will. You see that? The counsel of His will. Did he, was, did, did he have any other counselors beside Himself when He was figuring all this stuff out? No. He was His own counselor. He didn't need the counsel of man. He didn't need to take a poll to see how society felt about how he had ordained the world to be. He didn't need our advice. His eternal purposes were established according to the counsel of his own will and his will alone. Whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Everything that he foreordained comes back around to his glory. Comes back around to magnifying him and when we submit ourselves to that purpose what happens according to the very first catechism that we looked at we get to do what forever enjoy him those who are at enmity with god cannot enjoy god because we have separated our will from his we have refused to submit to his way we've not jumped into his river <laughs> And gone along with the way that he would like it to go. Right. But I mean, we've all been there. We've all, we've all struggled with that. Because all of us have been, have, we know we've tasted the temptations of sin, right? We've given into the temptations of sin. And that all is um, part of the human nature that is constantly trying to win over. You know, the human nature doesn't want us to submit to God, God's ways. The human the intrinsic nature of human will is to be against God, to be free from God's control. There's always, that's really the foundation of what temptation is. I want to seek my own pleasure. I want to seek my own way. And you see that in children when they're young. They, I mean, you have, back in the day, you had a lot of you know, kids running away from home because they wanted their own way. They didn't want to clean their room. They didn't want to do this. They didn't want to listen to mom and dad. You know, now, nowadays, we don't really hear about runaways as much. But you just see the, the unsubmissive spirit. You see the fighting, the bickering, children who are running the household simply because parents don't want to deal with it. But the children are just opposing. And we are like that sometimes too. But anyway, that's not the point. That's, not, that's just kind of a side issue. side issue. Look at Ephesians 1, 11 to 12. Who wants to read that for us? Ephesians 1. 11 to 12. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 12. That he who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Okay. So, in him we have, what, obtained an inheritance. Why? How do we have the right to that inheritance? Well, we were foreordained to it, according to the purpose of Him. 
who works all things according to what? The counsel of his own will. You ever wonder what, how in the world could it ever make sense that God would bring you into the fold rather than somebody else? That shouldn't make sense. <laughs> all the time? Yeah, all the time. I mean, that should not make sense to us. If it makes sense to us, then you don't really know anything about grace <laughs> or mercy, something that's undeserved. Undeserved. That means it's not going to make sense why God would save you because you didn't do anything to deserve it. Therefore, you should not be able to understand why in the world God would call you into his fold rather than somebody else that you know that, you know, maybe that would have been, a, they have better skills that would serve the church better or, you know, better, you know, just more better resources, better this, better that. Why aren't they part of it? Why didn't God call him to the church? Why did God call me to the church? I feel useless. <laughs> I feel like, you know, I've done nothing worthy of this. And you're right, it should be confusing. Because if it's confusing, if you don't understand it, well, then you understand it. <laughs> then you understand grace. Chapter you don't understand the answer, but you understand grace. Chapter 2 will, will help get you straight out and keep reading. Yeah, but we're not going to keep reading, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you want to make a note, make a note. Keep reading this through chapter 2. In fact, the first three chapters of Ephesians is really, in the Greek, one big long sentence. One big long train of thought. Um, so this is all working together. But anyway, Romans chapter 8. We have a lot to get through. Romans chapter 8. Verses 28 to 30. Who wants to read that? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called, the called according to his purpose, for whom he did in foreknow, as also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And then 30. Oh. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Okay, so you see here that he predestined us, those who had come to the fold, to be like him. And in becoming like him, therefore... All things that happen to us are predestined to be for our good. There's nothing that can truly come against you. Everything is supposed to conform you into the image of His Son. Everything. Not just the good, not just the bad. It all comes together to conform us into the image of His Son. If we will see, and we will see it if we will, are willing to see past what's right in front of us. And sometimes we can't see the answer again. But we know Everything works together for good, those who love God. Why? Because we were predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son. Why? So that we might be the first, so that He, Jesus, might be the firstborn. You know, He's called the firstborn, which necessitates otherborn, right? You can't be the first if there's nothing left. If Jayla was the only child, she would be referred to as our only child. She wouldn't be referred to as our firstborn. Firstborn requires other borns. <laughs> so Christ, the firstborn among many brethren, that's the way it was always planned to be. Whom he predestined, he called, okay? You know, some people wonder, how in the world, well, so could, so could, some, could God predestine somebody to be saved who never hears the gospel? No. Because those whom he predestined, he called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. He brings us through that process, those of us who he calls to his fold. 
And if you want to keep reading down there, he kind of, you know, dives into that a little bit more. But for the sake of time, go to chapter 9, verses 14 through 16. Does anybody want to read that for us? What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or uh, exhortation, but on God who has mercy. Yeah. You want yeah, just just sixteen. I mean, you can keep going because it's all part of that process. But you know, if you want to write down multiple verses, you could keep going. But just this is enough to cover this point. Um, is that you know, just you know, there's no unrighteousness in God in calling some and not calling others. Yeah, that does bother people. Mm-hmm. Right, that does bother people, and you know what? It doesn't make sense because if to me anyway. But that doesn't mean I can argue with God about it. That just means I have to recognize my feebleness and my futility. Because, I mean, if Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, then why does God, need, God, why does God allow other people to have to pay for their own sins? You know, that doesn't make any sense for me. to me. The price is paid. Why didn't he call the rest of them to be under that payment? I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me. But I have to submit to it. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Right? You start with, I, God is right in all of His ways. God is just in everything, especially the things that don't make sense. And that's really where we can start learning, is when we come to that point in our approach to Scripture. I don't approach Scripture having to have all the answers if I'm going to submit to God. No, we first submit to God, and then He reveals to us what He wants us to understand. <laughs> and He doesn't always want us to understand everything. If we understood everything, then there would be no more fear for God. There would be no reason for us to just submit, truly. Because true submission comes when, I don't know, I don't know anything about this, but I'm just going to trust and follow. That's where true submission, it's, it's not submission when you just approve of everything that's happening. That's just agreement. I mean, agreement's great, but submission is the most purely defined when we submit amidst confusion, amidst not having the answers, amidst maybe even disagreement, <laughs> but yet you submit anyway. That's true submission. That's submission that results in eternal um, riches, so to speak. So you see there, um, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whoever I will have compassion. God, God is not pulling any stops here. He's not, give, he's not giving his authority to another. You don't get to tell me who I should have compassion on. You don't get to tell me who I, ha, who I should have mercy on. I will do it to those whom I choose. But that's not politically correct. No, it's not politically correct. <laughs> not at all. Right. You know, what happened to No Child Left Behind? Come on. God, don't you have a No Child Left Behind policy? <laughs> well... Right, he doesn't need to check with us, right. He doesn't need to see how we feel about stuff. He will do according to his will. So, and he says, then it's not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. You know, that approach is the subject that God is not obligated to you or tied to have to do something for you just because you pray to prayer. 
Because it's not about him who wills. You know, let's say I do submit myself to God's way. That still doesn't mean God is obligated to show you mercy. Because you don't get to manipulate God. You don't get to tie God to you. God ties you to him. You are not in charge of this thing. God is in charge of this thing from beginning to end. And if we are not willing to accept that, then we are going to miss out on a whole lot of blessing in Scripture. A whole lot of enjoyment of God will be lacking on our part if we will not accept this fact that there is not a word, there's not a prayer, there's not a belief that we can have that ties God to us. No, God's will ties us to Him. That's the way it is and that's the way it will always be. 1 Peter 1, 18-21. would like to read those verses. 1 Peter 1, And here, this passage is in here to reveal the point that Jesus was foreordained to sacrifice himself for us before God even created anything. Which answers the question, what about, I mean, could man have not sinned? (laughs) Well, if Jesus was foreordained before God even created man to pay the penalty for man's sin, God already knew when he created man that he was going to sin. He already knew that. Because from eternity past, it was all, always the plan for Christ to die for sinners, even when those sinners didn't exist yet. So... That can bring up a lot of questions. Did God create evil? Does God do evil? Does God, you know, make people sin? Well, those are the wrong questions. Or at least you can't really come to an answer unless you first submit your way to God and understand that this was all supposed to happen. This was all part of God's plan for some reason. What could that plan be? What in the world could God allow sin in this world? How, how in the world could God use sin for good. I mean, wouldn't everything just be better if man just never sinned? Well, for some reason, God made it thus. And we have to submit ourselves to the fact that God knows how to glorify Himself the greatest and provide us with the greatest, most infinite joy. We don't know the answers. We can't calculate that. But God did already. We just have to trust Him. Acts 2.23. Well, let's, just, let's move on to the next one. You can read Acts 2.23 on your own. How doth God, so, the next question. How doth God execute His decrees? God executeth His decrees in the works of creation and providence. So basically, how does He carry out His will? How does God carry out His will? 
through the works of creation and through providence. Revelation 4.11. Who wants to read that? Worthy are you, the Lord in God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So God receives glory just by the, from the mere fact that he created us. And for his will, by his will, we were all created. For his will. He willed something for us. Willed something for us. And we can go for hours talking about what kind of will God has for different individuals and for mankind as a whole. But just see here that God works out his will through what he creates and through providence. And we see that here. He creates us with a will for us to carry out. And our whole life is spent sometimes figuring out what that is and carrying that out. And sometimes we live our whole life not even really knowing what the will of the Lord for us is, but somehow we carried it out. Because <laughs> that's. He talks about that in Jeremiah 1 when he was talking to, to Jeremiah. Yeah. It's like, you, I had a plan for you yeah. before you were even right. created. And sometimes people argue, well, that was Jeremiah, or that was just the prophets. No, 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 that's everybody. That's all, that's all creation, not just people. That's all creation he had a will for before it was ever even created. He created it with its will built into it, in its DNA. So, Daniel 4.35. Who wants to read Daniel 4.35? Daniel 4.35. Yeah, so he does whatever he wants, essentially, is that what, that's what the Bible is saying here. What he wants happens. And there's nothing that man can do about that. That's what it says. That's what that's talking about. No one can restrain his hand. No one can even argue with him. What have you done? <laughs> we can argue with each other. Why would you do that? And sometimes maybe we have that cry to God. Why would you let this happen? But we only say it because we don't understand. But some of us take it too far and we say, and we say, how in the world could God let this happen? Therefore, God is an evil God or God just doesn't exist. I haven't met every atheist on the planet, but every atheist that I have met used to believe in God and rejected him because of some sort of circumstance in their life that they couldn't understand how a loving God could let that happen. Now that's... Yeah, yeah. And that's, why, and that's where we start with the foundation of God is right and just in all his ways. That doesn't make it easy for us to accept things that happen to us, but in all things we submit it to the Lord. Isaiah 40. Isaiah chapter 40. I'll, just, I'll read these ones. Because we've got to start wrapping up here. Isaiah 40, and I want to show, I want to talk about a little bit what creation has to do with all of this. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 through 17 says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, 
measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in the scales and in the hills and the hills in a balance. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are a drop in the bucket, and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing, and worthless. And then jump to verse 21. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Okay, so look at the foundations of the earth, just how they were laid, and we'll talk about this in creation. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely they sh- shall they be planted, scarcely shall they be sown, scarcely, scarcely, sorry, that's a lot of scarcelys, shall their stock take root in the earth, when he shall also blow on them, and they will wither, and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom will then you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And all of this to say his providence brings his will to pass. Without the counsel of anybody else, nobody has... The capacity to counsel God on any matter, to inform God on any matter. From the foundations of the earth, we should know this. And that's where creation comes into play. We could talk about this all day long, but I'm giving you big pictures during these messages, during these lessons. Big pictures. What What is the work? Okay, the last question. What is the work of creation? Let's read this one together. The work of creation is... God's making all things of nothing by the word of His power in the space of six days and all very good. Now, you can read these passages on your own. I mean, you probably already know Genesis 1.1 and probably can guess what 131 says. Um, look, the work, of God, the work of creation is God's making all things out of nothing. Okay, so God's making everything that we see here was not dependent on anything else existing in the first place. He wasn't, his creation, his creative power was not helped by things that already happened to be existed. It's not like he took this component and mixed it with this component and created and came out with this component. No. From just his own will, from his own breath, all things came to pass without the help of anything. Nothing else played a part in him creating all that we see and all even the things that we don't see. By the word of his power, by the simple word of his power, not being counseled by any other source, by the will of his own power, not taking into consideration the will or power of any other being. In the space of six days, I don't know, maybe you can allegorize that, but I can't right now. And all very good, okay? His own will has accomplished all of this. His own power has accomplished all of this without the help of anybody. And it's all very good. 
like we read before, everything that comes to pass in the life of God's chosen people is good. We may not understand it, but it is good. And the fact that God brought you into his fold, that's good too. Right? <laughs> and you know, in the, the thing that's harder for us to accept too, what about the damnation of sinners? Can we call that very good too? I mean, that's harder for us to say that's very good because that's one of the parts that we don't really understand as much. How could that be very good? But we all deserve it, right. Which is part of why it's so very good that he has called us to be his remnant. <laughs> to be the, yeah. You know, and we could, what? Go ahead. And you know, God, you, God has also foreordained for us to have that human compassion, that human element, to draw us to those people to share the gospel with them. You know, So it's like we have to have that human element to bring us to those people to present the gospel to them, while at the same time that very same human element makes it hard for us to understand how God could let that person die and go to hell. So we're supposed to be confused about some things. <laughs> it's built into the way we are. But the way we are... Is supposed to drive us, not quench us, not crush us, not turn us away. No, we're supposed to, that's why we come with the fear of God. We understand God's justice, okay? There are some things we can understand, at least in part. Some things, you know, but I don't know if I can talk about that. But, you know, we start with this. All God's ways are good. Even, in some way, the condemnation of sinners. I don't think that we're supposed to, there's, there's the part that loves God, that loves to see justice done for sin, but also understanding Christ paid the penalty. Nobody has to go, nobody should have to go to hell. Christ already paid the penalty. Do we take that seriously, that Christ died for sin? So we go and we tell people about that. Christ died for your sin, you don't have to be condemned for it anymore. Come to Christ. But then we still grieve if a person dies without Christ. And we can be like, why God? Why did you let this happen? The penalty has already been paid. Why make them pay for it? But this is all just the cycle of us. This is a cycle of being driven to those people to share God's love with them. And the, and the other part of that cycle being submission to God, even in the things that we don't really understand. Because we're not supposed to understand everything. We try to, but we're not supposed to understand everything because... His ways are higher than our ways. If we really believe that, then we will also believe that we're never going to understand everything. <laughs> so not, don't try to stop learning, 
but under but humble yourself before God and recognize that He's way too big for you for you to even tap the tree. Come on. You can get a little bit out of that, but we're never going to really know God until we see His face, and even then, we'll spend eternity getting to know Him. But. So let's come before God with submission, with humility, seeking His kingdom, seeking His will. His will be done, because His will is good. And just let, it, let yourself stand in awe of the fact that He's called you to His side, to be His child. Don't ever let that become commonplace, and don't ever think you understand why, because you're not supposed to understand why. You're just supposed to be thankful.